Welcome to NFP, the Non-Fungible Podcast, with your host, D. Klein. Hey, this is NFP, the Non-Fungible Podcast, with your host, D. Klein. Today, my guest is the co-founder and CEO at Nansen, Alex Svanovic. Hey, Alex Svanovic, welcome to NFP. It's so happy to have you here this morning. Well, or evening, depending where you live. Yeah, thank you so much, Darren. Super happy to be here. It is evening, actually. Yeah, thank you for making time. We're basically on opposite sides of the world, right? You're in Singapore, I think. This is a compromise. You have to be very tired, and so do I, but different (laughs) sides of the day, right? Yeah, you know, I got to get myself in the habit of getting up early anyway, because, you know, I'm a a teacher. I don't know if you knew that. Um, Oh, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And so right now I'm doing my summer holiday break and I tend to sleep in a little too much, but I got to get myself used to getting up early again because I got to go back to to teaching again soon. Nice. Do you teach art or? I did teach art for a number of years. Now I'm actually teaching math, believe it or not. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Junior high math. So it's it's pretty basic stuff. It's like a squared plus b squared equals c squared kind of stuff, you know, which yeah. blows their minds, of course, at that age. You know? <laughs> they're 12 and they're like, what? You know, can't I just do a plus b equals c? It's like, well, you might not get the same answer. <laughs> That's awesome. Man, we should. Uh, have you ever heard about Douglas Hofstadter or we should no? because uh, you're like you're like an art person and also te- teaching math and mm-hmm. he does a lot of, he wrote a really good book called Gödel Escherbach, which I recommend. Uh, and it's about sort of human ingenuity and creativity. It's, it's a beautiful book. It's probably my favorite book that I've ever read. Can you say the name of the book again? Yeah, it's called Gödel Escherbach. So it's the name of Kurt Gödel, the logician yes. uh, or mathematician, uh, MC Escher, the yes. artist, and Johann Sebastian Bach, the uh-huh. composer. And so these three are kind of examples of people who obviously exhibit, you know, human creativity and sort of uh, intellect. And so the book is really about thinking and, you know, how this is manifested in different human fields, you know, from Mm -hmm. science to art and music and so on. And it's a really creative book. He even uses like fugue style uh writing so he will take a technique from bach and he will like write the chapter oh, in wow. that style it's, it's very creative so you should check it out it's i think it's a i think he won the the pulitzer prize in like 1980 or something like that it's a really good book interesting i'll check it out wow yeah. kind that of a random fascinating. Start the podcast but yeah, yeah there are good. most of them start with some kind of random thing so <laughs> that's interesting so i take it that human intellect kind of is a, an topic of interest to you being that your obviously analysis of human behavior is a big part of what nansen.ai is all about right yeah that's true so my bachelor's was in cognitive science like the 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 science of thinking and so i've always you're analyzing me right now probably as i take my (laughs) sip of my coffee but you know, I'm, I'm looking at your wallet in the side view here, so you know it's a bit of analysis going on. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. Yeah, but but uh, you know, I've always been interested in in like the you know the concept of thinking is pretty weird, you know, in itself, and how you can be conscious and like reflect on your own thoughts and all these weird things. Um, but yeah, so 
Um, so I studied cognitive science and then later studied artificial intelligence because, you know, I, I found it interesting, like, how can you do the same thing in machines, right? Can mm -hmm. machines think? Um, and that led me to data science and analytics and so on, which is a bit more profitable than being a philosopher, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, it's, uh, it's always fun. That's really cool. So, I mean, with that, you kind of how did you get to the point where you were kind of founding or co-founding, I should say, uh, Nansen.ai? Where, where did that happen? So I would say, you know, I studied cognitive science, then studied AI, um, graduated, started my own company uh, with two other course mates trying to bring machine learning and AI into the world of business. Uh, a bit too early, I think. This was 2010, so you didn't have that massive sort of AI and data science awareness that you have today. Right. Um, then went to, went to the management consulting for a while to learn more about business and um, ended up going back to data science, uh, working at a media group. And then in 2017, I discovered Ethereum, which made as me... As many did. As many did, right before the ICO boom. <laughs> uh, and uh, that was fun, like in, in all sorts of ways. I think Ethereum is the kind of thing that just tickles different parts of your brain and body somehow. It's like, you know, intellectually interesting, but it's also, you know, it appeals to your greed, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> with regards to like NFT flipping. Well, or we'll call IP it the profit thing. motive. Call, call it the profit motive. Yeah, that's a, a kinder way to Positive put it, connotation. Exactly. And so... Um, yeah, so I was just pulled into this this rabbit hole of crypto uh, and, uh, you know, quit my job, went all in, uh, wow. moved, moved to Hong Kong from Barcelona and um, joined a company there. That company didn't quite work out. Um, so that was an ICO? It was an ICO, actually. Okay. Yeah. So I was And not like a about 90% of the ICOs, it, it lost yeah, momentum. Probably right? more. Probably more 98%, than 98%, I think it was, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of, um, it was a really interesting experience. I think it was a bit um, disillusioning in a way, because yeah. I actually had sort of hope that, you know, ICOs are going to be kind of revolutionary in the way they can fund new technology. And many so did. On. Yeah, I was yeah. super pumped about ICOs in 2017. Oh, yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. did, did you invest in, in any fun ones? Or uh, I did. And I think my doge has done better than all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to outcompete Doge. That's true. <laughs> I had somewhere I'm like, this, this is gonna solve so many problems. Yeah, and it's like this completely like, not existent oh, now. <laughs> decentralized Uber, decentralized Airbnb. Like, is it Uber already Airbnb. decentralized? What? <laughs> sort yeah, of, yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah. This was all interesting stuff, but you know, I was kind of trying to think, hey, I'm gonna prove these guys wrong. The doubters. I'm gonna join an ICO and I'm gonna yeah, make yeah. it a success. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was an employee, right? I was not a founder. I didn't actually raise the money. Okay. Um, so I joined as employee number two um, with the task of building up the data division, uh, which I okay. did. I hired about four people in my team. Um, and I think we did a really good job, to be honest, if I can, if I can say that. But um, the treasury management was not so good. So suddenly mm, boy. the company didn't have any money. Shit. And uh, they had to let everyone go. And uh, I was in Hong Kong. Had a Were they just like mismanaging the money or was it that, you know, you didn't see the revenues come in that you needed? So, I mean, there was zero revenues. 
yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so I think it was a combination of two things. Number one, um, ether tanked and they had not, yes. you know, liquidated enough ether into dollars or something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number two, yeah, they, they probably spent a bit too much and weren't aware of how much they were spending until it was too late. And when they had right. done the accounting, then they had to let everyone go. <laughs> so, Well, there was such so, a gold rush when these ICOs first started. I mean, I can remember yeah. there being ICOs that made like $31 million in like 10 minutes That's you know, right. at launch. And they were like, woo, we got money for years. And like three months later, they're like, we're out of money. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This this was like eleven months later. We're out of money. Yeah. So okay. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so so. But it was really educational, right? Uh, and I don't want to spend too much time like dunking on that project. But it was very educational to experience a failure from the inside like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what you couldn't do and like how how you should not run a startup, to be honest. And yeah. also some of the downside of tokenizing, right? Like that can be a major impediment to product development, I think, because mm. you have to always consider how does a token fit into whatever you're doing. So you, you have kind of like a debt to your community when you right. start building. Sure. And you have to kind of pay back that debt somehow. And so that makes product development really hard because you might have great ideas, mm-hmm. but it's like, how does the token fit into it? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, anyway, that was, I think, a really uh, educational experience. But then went on to do some consulting work with some some other cool projects. Uh, Zero X, probably the most famous mm-hmm. one, um, mm-hmm. which is a decentralized exchange protocol. And uh, eventually found, co-founded Nansen in late 2019, together with one of the guys I had hired, Evgeny, uh, who is an excellent uh, data engineer and software engineer, and also Lars, uh, who I knew from before, who is uh, also a great data engineer. So the mm-hmm. three of us co-founded Nansen. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, do you see, I'm curious because you've been through this with ICOs and people will often say, oh, NFTs are a fad, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're just going to collapse. And, you know, do you see parallels between the ICO boom and the NFT boom? Or is it one of those, this time it's different kind of things? <laughs> I'm curious yeah. what your thoughts are. Whenever you feel like saying this time is different, you know, <laughs> that's probably time to pause. <laughs> um, but I mean, at the same time, right, everything is different uh, in, mm-hmm. in, in some ways. So NFTs also had kind of a little boom in 2017, 18 with CryptoKitties, right? Yes. So I think you could you could say they've had that sort of immature explosion and now maybe the this this time around it is a little bit different there's more interesting stuff going on there's more enthusiasm beyond just the core crypto crowd which i think is is like a huge difference uh this time around um if you look at projects like axie infinity most of their players never touched crypto before they before they played axie infinity and many of the people just anecdotally many of the people who jump into say nft collections they don't really care about crypto. They don't care about DeFi, you know, tokens on Uniswap, leverage trading. Like they don't care about that. But they maybe come from like, um, you know, in-game items like mm-hmm. trading those on auction houses in World of Warcraft or like Counter Strike or whatnot. So they, I think they come from a different background, and I think that's a really healthy sign because it means it's not always the same pond, you know, of people. Right. And, and it creates kind of different sub-markets and sub-communities within crypto. 
Um, and to some extent, I think it's reflected in the pricing of these assets. If you look at Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin has been moving sideways. But look at the price of CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, you know, premium NFT collections, right? They've just been pumping, which makes me think that, you know, this is in a way, I mean, maybe it's ironic because the prices are pumping so much, but it is a sign of maturity in a way mm -hmm. that they're decoupling. You know, yes. you can have different sub crypto markets, which is really cool. So, you know, to answer your question, you know, is it different? I mean, it certainly is different. That doesn't mean that uh, prices are going to continue to go up the way they have forever. Right. There's probably going to be corrections as with anything. Um, but, you know, I do think it is different in many ways. Yeah, I mean, I personally feel and I've said this before on the show is I feel like NFTs are Ethereum's first killer app. And what I mean by that for listeners is a killer app, for those who don't know, is basically when you have a new platform and there might be apps out for it and nobody cares. But then something comes along that all of a sudden everyone wants that platform. Let's say it's, a, I don't know, a PlayStation 5 and you've got a bunch of games out and everybody's like, no, don't care. And then one game comes out that all of a sudden everybody wants and they buy the console for that game, right? To me, that's what nfts are to ethereum yes you know? and I, I, yeah i agree 100 percent that they are a killer app i'm not sure i agree they're the first right no, but, that, that, that's fair yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. but but i actually had a a presentation earlier today where i literally said the same thing i was like mm. nfts are uh you know strong evidence of product market fit for blockchains you know that's mm -hmm. like one of the first applications where you see product market fit um, I would say like DeFi might have been the very first one. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And, but I think maybe NFTs are like could actually be the the one that goes mainstream first. Truly mainstream. See, that's where I feel like yes, DeFi is an app that had its usage on Ethereum and it was and it was a good usage, but it didn't get people to go ooh ooh, what's this thing and want to get into it, even though they had no clue about crypto. Like yes. DeFi is far more intimidating, frankly. Yes, 100%. And I think the analogy here, you can just think back to the traditional world. So how many of your friends actually care about finance? Right. Yeah. No, no one cares about finance. Like, they should, people, but they don't. Yeah, but like normal people don't want to talk about finance. And like, why would they care about the future of finance? Right. But NFT. It only affects other. your entire life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does. Rationally, you should. <laughs> you know, you should probably be talking about insurance as well. Right. But like he wants to. <laughs> And, and I think NFTs are really different because they touch on things that people actually really care about, like art, gaming, mm -hmm. entertainment, right? Music. There's so many different things that, that NFTs um, are useful for. And, you know, these, these areas, they will be highly disruptive for. So um, I think that's why NFTs might be the thing that takes blockchains truly mainstream uh, even if I do think that decentralized, decentralized finance was maybe the first kind of real product market fit. Uh, but yeah, I'm 100% with you. I think they are, uh, they're huge. And, and I think people tend to underrate how, how revolutionary NFTs are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So Nansen.ai, obviously, you are analyzing what's going on in these markets for users. Yes? That is correct. Can you talk about that, how that works in terms of the user experience? Now, obviously, Nansen.ai, Nansen, 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 
Uh, I mean, I say Nansen because it comes, the name comes from like a Norwegian polar explorer. Okay. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, North Americans t- tend to say Nansen, which is yes. fine. Okay. So, you know, whatever I'm going to say Nansen then. Go for it. Go nuts. <laughs> so obviously it's broader than NFTs, but you do have that element here. There was one section I was reading about it on your website that talks about, uh, in particular, uh, board apes talks about pranksy picking picking up like twelve hundred of them to begin with. I did, I had no idea. That's right. Yeah, that they had that much. Exactly. Uh, you had no idea, right? So our platform. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of stuff you find out when you use our platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Let's talk so, about the whole board apes phenomenon and how Nansen. When you're looking at that, how how okay. you can analyze that. Yeah. So I personally discovered board apes through Nansen, mm-hmm. and so. The, I'll tell you the story. Like, I think it was a Saturday morning or something like that. I'm here in Singapore. Um, and I do use Nansen quite a lot myself as a user. Mm-hmm. And there's one dashboard called Hot Contracts. Okay. And Hot Contracts, it shows smart contracts that have a lot of inflow of capital, like new mm-hmm. smart contracts. Mm-hmm. And so typically, you know, a yield farm or an NFT collection will pop up on Hot Contracts when it's okay. hot. Like, right. So, so I saw this thing and it says, you know, board, board apes, yacht club. like, what the hell is this? And there's a lot of money going in. And I, of course, know some people who are really into NFTs, like even more than me. And they're like, hey, you know, I just bought these 20 apes. And so two things happen at the same time, right? I see in on the blockchain activity in front of my eyes, yep. people are putting capital in. And then I get messages from at least two different people who are like, I just bought 20 apes, you know, right, check this right, out. Right, right, right. And that's like, okay. Now, I think when those it. were minted, it was like 0. 0.1 Ethereum, maybe something uh, like yeah, that. Yeah, 0.08. ETH, 0.08, yeah. Yeah. Cheap. So, that, yeah, now they're like 100x. That, mm-hmm. right? So, so you know, it was pretty, pretty wild. But so, uh, you know, this is, this is interesting because like it, it shows also how I use the product like personally, right? I saw that and I was like, okay, I'm going to buy some apes. And I, you know, bought some apes. And then I see, hey, there's a lot more capital coming in very fast. I want to buy some more apes. So I bought mm-hmm. you know, another batch of 20. So I ended up with like 40 apes, nothing like Pranksy, who does like, <laughs> who did like 12, 1,250 or something. Right. Um, but bought like 40 apes and then uh, monitored, you know, what, what are people doing with this? Like, are they trading them? You know, are they holding on to them and trying to work, monitor the price, you know, min price, max price, average price, like all that stuff. Uh, to make a long story short, I ended up selling these apes way too early. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> like that's the sad story that would have been worth like, because you were seeing this gold dollars. rush, right? You were seeing this, this rise. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I, gotta, was, I gotta sell it. And, well, I didn't, I didn't like turn around and, and dump all these apes right away. Right. <laughs> I, I kind of, I figured out. So the first thing I did, and this is maybe like a small sort of, you know, lesson in what people tend to do with NFT collections right? You'd buy a lot of these, um, let's say apes or tokens, right? And you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know which yes. trait or attributes they're going to have. You have no and idea if it's going to be a rare, valuable one or just a common one. Precisely. Mm-hmm. And so you have to figure out very fast, ideally before everyone else, what are the rare ones? Like what are the valuable ones and what are the ones you can like off- offload? Uh, and so that, that was the tactic I was using here. I was like, look, I'm going to pull all the data from the API, like through, which is exposed through the, the smart contract. And, you know, you, you can figure out how to do that. And 
And then I tried to rank them. I just made my own, like in a spreadsheet, I mm -hmm. made my own sort of like rarity calculator. And of course, now this is the kind of tools that we are rolling out in nonsense so that I don't have to use that spreadsheet and people can just do it in like real time. Right, because um, I'm going to interrupt you a second. These, this yeah, information but, is is broadly available. It's just that you're making it easily accessible in one place. Yeah. So yes and no, right? Because okay, um, that that is that is true. And like a lot of the data we have is publicly available data. And it, you're right; it just needs to kind of be massaged and curated. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, we also have a lot of data that is aggregated from like a wide variety of sources. Okay. which is not on chain. And so the unique thing we do with our platform is we have all the blockchain activity, but we enrich all that data with contextual real world information. So for example, um, you know, we were talking about your address uh, earlier before we started mm -hmm. recording. And, <laughs> and like, if I look that up in our platform, it, it is pulled like decline on OpenSea from the OpenSea uh, website. Mm -hmm. So that immediately gives me an idea of when I see a transaction in the platform, oh, that's decline on OpenSea sending an NFT to some legendary NFT collector or something yeah. like that. And, and you know, we, we also, mostly we focus on like corporations, projects, exchanges, DeFi protocols in our labeling. So it's not like we go after, try to track down individuals, but of course, <laughs> uh, many individuals are happy to uh, go public with their address, right? And if they do, then we will put it in here. So for example, OpenSea usernames, et cetera. And so, you know, in effect, you get that real world connection to all this, this transactional data, which is on its own, not super easy to read or easy to use, but you know, the mission that we have of the company is to surface the signal. And so that's what we always try to do. We enrich the blockchain data and we aggregate it and curate it in such a way that you can extract uh, actionable insights from it. So I interrupted your story though. You were talking about looking up the board yeah. apes and putting together right. a spreadsheet and yeah. figuring that all out and saying how that's now available and nonsense. But anyway, nonsense. Yeah, and so that, that's what people often do with NFT collections, right? That's like one, one. there's like many games you can play here. You can also mm -hmm. just buy them and hold them and try to like foster the community around these NFTs. And then that drives up the value because more people want to join the community and own the NFTs, right? So the thing with apes was that the community was just really, really strong and it just kept growing. And at this point, there are more than 5,000 people or 5,000 addresses that hold board apes. Hmm. And there are only 10,000 apes. So they're so pretty well like, distributed, really. It's not like one person's holding all of them. Exactly. They're, they're super well distributed, which is kind of ironic given that Pranksy owned like 1,250 of them initially. So, so it, is, it is pretty cool. Um, and that is definitely one of the projects that has sort of risen up to become like one of the success stories among NFT collections. Yeah. I don't hold any apes anymore, so I'm not shilling my bag here. Like I, I actually <laughs> don't own them badly. I wish I did, right? Uh, um, yeah, but, there's always know, that dilemma, it. right? Like, you know, feeling like, you know, the whole shilling dilemma, right? Like how much should I promote things? You know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with promoting I think you know, if you're transparent, it's, it's fine. a fine line. Yeah. 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 I don't think you have to go out and be like disclaimer for everything you say <laughs> the, the my approach has been like, I'm just going to go public with my address so people can just mm -hmm. see what I do. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that makes sense. In yeah. So people can see which tokens I own and, and, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I think wicked craniums is probably another kind of 
similar phenomenon, not on the same scale as board apes, of course. Yeah. What, are, what was, That's what's true. your analysis of what happened there? So I personally was not, um, I think there was another collection that launched almost at the same time. I can't mm -hmm. remember which one, if it was like slum doge billionaires or something like that. Okay. But at that point I started feeling like, mm, I don't know, like are these uh, collections kind of becoming almost just like forks or clones of each other. Mm -hmm. And if I look at the price though of, of Wicked Craniums, I mean, it's also been steadily going up, not as extremely as Bored Apes, but clearly there is interest uh, in this collection as well. Uh, just looking at, you know, trading volume is like a lot lower, but the mm -hmm. prices are like steadily going up, both the, the floor price, like the minimum price uh, and the average price, pretty much like sideways, but slightly up. So I can't comment like on the specifics of this project, but I can see the data and I can see like who owns it, right? Like which, <laughs> which, uh, uh, which collectors own it um, and how distributed is it and so on and so forth. Well, I'm sure certain collectors holding, you know, certain pieces does bring value to that piece. Like for example, as an artist, when I have a high profile collector buy one of my pieces, you yes. know, that's a good thing for me. Yes. 100%. And imagine owning a CryptoPunk that Jay-Z owned, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That, that, yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think this is pretty cool with blockchain because the lineage becomes part of the art. Yeah, yeah. The provenance is a huge Exactly. Thing. Yeah, and it's, it's provable. Really cool. Yeah. Exactly. And that's really cool, I think. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, I'm obviously pretty excited about the space. I mean, you have a podcast about it, so I guess you're excited as well. Yeah. About <laughs> kind uh, of obsessed yeah that that tends to happen right you kind of go <laughs> down the rabbit hole and then it's hard to hard to get out yeah so hey give my listeners the inside scoop what hot trends are you seeing right now in nft collectibles all right so right now i'm looking at our dashboard dashboard which is called nft paradise ah. and and so it has a 24-hour nft market overview Obviously, okay. when someone listens to this, the data will have changed, but I can just give you, you know, the top collections here, CryptoPunks. This is like in traded volume, right? Mm -hmm. CryptoPunks, Board A, Yacht Club, MeBits, ArtBlocks, which actually has several different collections. So it's a little bit complicated to track. Cool Cats, like those five are at the top. Uh, there's some newer ones as well, like Tom Sachs Rocket Components, which I think was a little bit different. Animetas. Um, which I think both of those launched uh, this week. Also, Robotos, mm -hmm. another one, right? And these are newer ones. Um, so, so you know, you can you can sort of drill down into those. And by the way, like if you if you want to try this out, you can actually just buy a Nonsense trial for like uh, what is it, nine dollars? Okay. Uh, for okay. seven days. So like it's you know it doesn't break the bank to try this out, and you get access to all the stuff I'm talking about. Um, but that's the collections, right? The other thing which I think is really interesting is like, as you were just talking about, if someone famous buys an NFT, it's a similar thing here. Influencers, NFT influencers are, are huge, right? They're a huge part of the whole space. And one thing we have done is to rank uh, NFT investors based on their profits. And so we just talked about Pranksy, right? And he literally tops the list like by a mile in terms of how much money he has made from investing early in nfts and then later selling some portion of them and uh, most of uh, actually a pretty large chunk of his profits came from board apes specifically which we mm -hmm. talked about earlier so you know we're talking about millions of dollars in profits uh, 
from just like NFTs. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, what do you think? You know, when I look at some of these 10,000 profile pick collectibles and then you go another one, you know what I mean? Like how many of these <laughs> yeah. 10,000 collectible projects can there be before there's fatigue? And, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. Disinterest. What do you think? This is this is where it goes back to the ICOs, right? So it felt very similar because it becomes like a, a playbook. You know, people are just well, these guys made 10k, and like if we just do the same thing but change to another animal, it'll also pump. And the crazy thing is, like, it actually works for a while. People <laughs> yeah. will just buy them, right? Because they saw it, but they saw that it worked before. Um, at some point, you're right. Like, I think there's fatigue. So people just won't buy anymore. And I think the other thing is, this is like on the supply side, if I can call it that. I think also the later entrants, you know, it, it, like making, not the buyers, but the sellers, like the creators of, of this stuff. Imagine if you're like the 110K collection and you've made some animal. Like as a creator, are you like the most capable among all those hundred that came before you, like probably not, right? You're just kind of copying something that a hundred people have done before you. And so I think there's some kind of natural quality of like the earlier ones, because they are like the pioneers, the ones that sort of made this stuff in the first place. And if you're making the hundredth copy of it, it just naturally, you, you won't have as much success because maybe you're not as good on like execution. You're not as good on like building a community and so on. So I think, you get this sort of slowdown, both on the supply and the demand side, like the supply will sort of deteriorate over time. And then the demand will just wither away as people are happy with their profits and they experience, you know, fatigue from monitoring this stuff all the time. Are we in oversupply now already? Or is that yet to come? You think? I think the good thing is that many collections are now doing new things, right? So there are actually, I mean, you do see a lot of these avatar projects, you know, uh, but you also see some like generative art that's interesting. You see um, some art that's actually being like generated on the blockchain. And you were talking about another project uh, earlier, I think. Yeah, the coin network. Exactly, which is like natively created, right? Like yeah, atomic you know, NFTs. It's pretty cool. Exactly. So I think that's the that's the the positive, you know, mm -hmm. if you see some inno continued innovation. And there's still tons of innovation to do. I mean, especially I think in, in things like gaming, like that's an enormous space. I think that's probably the the one sector that I'm the most bullish on when it comes to NFTs in the short term. So, yeah, I mean, it isn't yet at the point where it's like fully, nicely, quickly, easily integrated, you know, but that's only a matter of time before it's just right. a normal thing. Yeah, I think maybe we've been sort of stuck in this crypto world where people expect that everything has to be sort of 100% decentralized and, you know, everything has to happen on Ethereum layer one, which makes it super slow and, you know, costly. Um, but, you know, the, the stuff like what's what Axie is doing, right? They've just spun up their own side chain, which, mm -hmm. you know, of course, doesn't have the same security as Ethereum but it still has a pretty neat bridge to ethereum so you could you know go both ways with your assets but you but it's still a blockchain so you still have ownership of it you know you can do interesting things with it it can be uh used for you know governance or yield farming or you know whatever it is so i think what we will see is likely that games will tend to 
sacrifice some of that decentralization and security, which is fine, like, because they are, uh, after all, games. They're not like you're not putting your house there necessarily um or like all your all your savings right so so i think there's going to be a bit of a trade-off where you get you know higher transaction uh speeds lower gas costs but you have a bridge back to the mothership which is ethereum because mm -hmm. ethereum you know is the the center of gravity for the entire blockchain industry and so that's what i think is going to happen but the other thing is, of course, in order for gaming NFTs to succeed, you need to have really good games. Mm. And, you know, uh, many people somewhat cynically, but maybe maybe there's truth to it, ha have said that, you know, you don't you can't make good games if you're just a blockchain developer. Right. You need to be a gaming developer. So so that that I think is true. You need to get like the gaming studios into this stuff. Right. It shouldn't be people who've never built games before, but they know how to make smart contracts who make the games. It has to be the game studios. But I think that's going to happen over the next uh, few years. Yeah, I agree. I think there will be some ingenious concept that takes it and makes it that it's what everybody wants in a game for whatever reason. You know, it always yeah. seems to be a game that does it, you know, and then everybody's yeah. playing that one game, you know. That's true. The killer game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Ethereum, though, what do you think of the whole uh, London upgrade stuff? It's London upgrade day today. That's right. Yeah. Congratulations. Right now, uh, gas fees are at, uh, they're not doing so great. 68 Gwei. I mean, I don't know when exactly everything gets, gets better. over. I don't know how long that takes. I don't know. But uh, earlier I, today, I, I saw it at like five way and i was like this is amazing and then it went to like a hundred uh, i was like oh, okay never mind <laughs> yeah i'm actually seeing it at, at the median gas prices at like a hundred right now which is okay much higher than i would have expected yes. but uh i think an important point here we actually just shipped this literally before i hopped on the podcast but we're, we're actually monitoring how many are making use of these new features that come with the okay. london upgrade because you you don't have to you can just continue using Ethereum as you were before if you want to, but you could, of course, make use of these new uh, ways to set gas and so on, right? Or gas prices and so on, and base fee and 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 bid or sorry tips and all all these different things, which are quite technical. And don't, please don't tell me to explain it because I probably can't do it <laughs> in a good way. Uh, but like the point is, you know, the sort of two hours since we went live with this there's only like a few percent of transactions that are actually making use of these features. Okay. So, so like right now I'm looking at this and the last five minutes, you know, 1.3% of all transactions made use of these new features. And, you know, that's because it takes time uh, for everything that builds on top of Ethereum to make use of it, right? Like wallets and user interfaces and, whatnot, like bots that are running, they have to start um, using these new features. And probably many of them were just waiting for it to happen. Like they weren't ready from, you know, the first block to change. They wanted to see how things worked out. And now they're rolling them out, like MetaMask and so on are rolling out these new features. Yeah, I'm very so, curious yeah. to see what that's going to look like in MetaMask. Yeah, same. I hope I hope it won't be confusing. Like it's already like the, the point is, it should be it should be less confusing. I think that's the goal. I would think so. I mean, really, the whole tips thing is not that different from before. It's just that 
now there's a burn with that basic fee. Yes. Right. Um, which sure. the user's not going to necessarily care about that element of it because, you know, that might be not even really on the radar for them. Right. It's going to be the tip is going to be more where you're yeah. <clears throat> having some kind yeah. of level of interaction, I would guess. Agree. And then, of course, like we will have less extreme spikes in, in gas price. That's uh, another thing that we would expect. Uh, so kind of like a s slower moving uh, average gas price. Uh, mm -hmm. which makes things more predictable and that's good i just hope i can mint something for like less <laughs> than 10 bucks yeah yeah i'm I, with you on that i, I did so. i did an auction on twitter the other day for the very first time i've never done that before where i just i was like i'm not even minting this i'm just i'm putting it on twitter and i'm saying okay who wants to buy this piece if if it sells at a reserve then i'll mint it you see that way i okay. didn't have to pay nice. the minting that until i had a buyer you see which platform did you use for that uh known origin oh okay cool yeah and so uh, i i did the auction it went really well actually i ended up selling the piece for 0.25 ethereum which is our ether i should say 0.25 yeah. ether and uh i think vinyls never die was the buyer which is awesome so that's pretty cool shout out to vinyls, shout never, out die. To vinyls never die yeah thank you very much uh but then when i went to mint it i was like okay fees aren't too bad uh but it ended up being like 40 or 50 bucks to mint it you know now oh having yeah. had a buyer i was okay with that right okay yeah because the buyer was you know for quarter in effect eighth, paying the fee in a way yeah right mm -hmm. you know i was like okay well i'm paying 40 bucks you know that's like but had i not had a buyer that would have been in my opinion too much for me to mint it maybe i'm cheap but to me, that feels like a lot for a single piece that you don't know yeah. if you're going to sell it. Agreed. I mean, so my hope is that, you know, it can get to a point here where I'm like minting stuff for, you know, five bucks kind of thing. I don't know if that's going to yeah. happen, though. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is maybe where things like layer twos will have to play a role. Yeah. I so I, I, I just I like minting directly on Ethereum. I don't know why. I just I do. <laughs> that's funny. Maybe that's relevant or maybe that's related to what we're talking about with the lineage. It feels kind of premium that it was like it minted does. on. That's like the Rolex of the blockchains, right? Yeah. You know, like you've seen the Matic Polygon thing and I don't yeah. know if that's really caught on. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I'm kind of enthused about the whole layer two as a solution for those problems. But at the same time, I like minting directly on Ethereum. I don't know. It's, I know it's what a you dilemma. Mean. I know what you mean. Um, I, on like just to comment on Polygon briefly, um, I, I would say Polygon has definitely um, taken off. If you just look mm -hmm. at the metrics, the daily active addresses and like transactions and so on, there's a lot of activity there across different projects. I th but I think actually BSC was the first one that surprised me mm. uh, in, in activity, right? Like I I didn't think that would get so big, but it really exploded and. I think it proved to the world that maybe people don't care that much about decentralization. Mm -hmm. Like they just want to have something that looks like Ethereum, but it's a lot cheaper. So, uh, and then Polygon, I think came after, or I mean, it, it actually, I think it came before actually, but uh, in popularity, it came after. So right. it was a big run up with BSC, a lot of activity, and then a bit of a slump and Polygon started to rise. And so just looking at the numbers in front of me, I mean, we're talking you know, close to half a million addresses that are daily active on Polygon. Not, nothing like Ethereum, but still pretty, pretty big. 
don't take it the wrong way. I'm not some kind of Ethereum Luddite. I like trying different <laughs> things, you know, like uh, even talked about the Koi network. I mean, that's an entire, you know, there, there are different solutions that I'm, I'm interested in, you know. Um, yeah. I don't know. It just feels, like you said, premium. It does. Things. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's Which I guess it's going to cost you more. It's premium. I mean, that's right. Yeah. But I do like the approach that we just talked about where, you know, you will mint it if you see that there is a buyer. Like that's that feels like it's a very smart solution. That's how it should be. Yeah. I mean, it means not minting as much. True. Potentially. But that kind of creates some scare, some scarcity, right? In some in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So being, yeah. being, you know, the analyst that you are seeing all this stuff on a day-to-day -day basis, where do you see this going in the next little while? I mean, I'm super bullish on Ethereum. I feel like I've said it many times, and this is not financial advice, but I've said <laughs> many times, I wouldn't be surprised if Ethereum's at like $10,000 US by the end of the year. Like, I feel like it's just, it's going to explode. Um, I, I see it flipping Bitcoin. Yeah, like, agree. I agree. I'm I a Bitcoin fan. I, I love Bitcoin. Yeah, you know? same. But it's just... Yeah, what do you what do you what do you see in the markets? It's it sounds like we have a very similar view of the world when it comes to this stuff. Like I'm also a Bitcoin fan, but I definitely think Ethereum is going to flip it. Um, I also you know think that Ethereum is like either the Rolex of blockchains or it's like the Manhattan of blockchains, right? Mm -hmm. It's like it's like the center of gravity, um, and it will always be really important, even if you get other blockchains that do different things. I think they will all bridge back to Ethereum. So, so I'm pretty bullish on like what I would consider the broader Ethereum ecosystem. And by that, I mean like side chains like Polygon that connect to it. Um, gaming, you know, side chains like Ronin, which Axie Infinity has, has made. And also layer two solutions like Optimism, Arbitrum, um, and so on and so forth. So... I think that whole space will flourish. My only slight concern is that it becomes kind of a divide and conquer scenario where like mm. if you split everything too much up and like, you know, the gaming folks are on this chain and like the DeFi folks are on another one, it won't have that beautiful network effect that Ethereum has had so far. But if it's somewhat seamless to move between these different, um, you know, regions of this uh, Ethereum world, then uh, I think it'll be really good. And of course, you know, now we, we just had EIP 1559 be, being shipped with London, mm -hmm. which you know, to, to be honest, like, uh, you know, and, it, and let's see how it evolves like over the next few days, but that's been a big, uh, you know, positive uh, event, but also there's been uncertainty around it. Like, will there be, you know, bugs we don't know about and, Will it work in a different way? Is there some kind of game theoretical aspect that no one's thought about and everything goes to hell? <laughs> like, who, who knows, right? So, so I think that's, I, like, if that, if we pass that, you know, and if it's like, hey, it actually works as expected, that's incredibly bullish, in my opinion. And, of course, Ethereum 2 is actually closer than many people realize, right? Like, the merge, mm. uh, merging Ethereum 1 and 2 together. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm, maybe you can tell, but I'm obviously extremely optimistic about the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, and, you know, I think NFTs will be a, play a huge part in making people make their first Ethereum transactions. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think we move towards interoper interoperability where well, there is a lot of solutions that allow you to move these things around 
from one place to another and it becomes less of a walled garden kind of scenario and everything kind of just comes I hope together so. under the ethereum roof i think yeah i think that would be really cool that's like that's how it should be um uh but but yeah i mean no, this is the first time that i feel like we we actually see this kind of multi-chain multi-layer world uh starting to grow organically because uh, we had a lot of different blockchains back in 2017 and 18 but they mm -hmm. were all like silos and the only way to jump between them was like going through centralized exchanges so now you know actually you know i should probably bring up some some data on that here in the background but like if you if you look at um uh, ethereum and you see where the ether is sitting mm -hmm. uh you know polygons bridge so you know where you would put your ether to move your ether into polygon Polygon's bridge is like the ninth biggest address in holdings on the Ethereum network. It has like 724,000 Ether. Wow. Which is like an insane amount of Ether. Um, and so, and so, you know, this is kind of, this is real. Like people are actually using this stuff. And that's very different from many of these like ghost chains that existed uh, in like 2018 and 19. So, so I think, yeah, it's uh, the interoperability world is like becoming uh, it's becoming real but it is very ethereum centered still i think and i think it will remain that it just has the network effect advantage frankly yes yes absolutely. Right? And, and there's so much stuff being developed on ethereum so much activity on ethereum you know that yeah it's the big kahuna another, i think yeah another danger and i like i'm not very good at sort of asking myself or being critical of my own thinking here but we probably are in a bit of an ethereum filter bubble as well like most people i speak to are very bullish on ethereum and that's what they use every day and so on uh, but there could be like other blockchains that pop up and just get a lot of popularity like something like solana right mm -hmm. which uh, many people you know are really bullish on i don't know the ecosystem well enough i tried to you know see what blind spots I have and sort of speak to people who might have a different view, but it, it's very easy to end up, end up in these camps in crypto where mm -hmm. you just kind of hear one side. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, if I speak to very smart people who are really into Ethereum, they will say, you know, there's no point looking at Solana because, you know, it's, it's so heavy to run a node or, you know, it's, it generates an insane amount of data. Like that's relevant to us at Nansen. We were looking at ingesting Solana data and it generates like a hundred gigabyte of data every single day. So wow. that's like that's like a, a different ballpark than, than Ethereum. But like, who knows? Maybe to have real adoption, you need to have some much higher throughput, right? So I think it's also important to sort of question these, these assumptions and see where you have blind spots. I don't do it very much myself, but you know, now that I'm pretending to be this wise man, I, I can say this to other people. Well, so, we do uh, kind of attach ourselves to brands, right? It's just kind of a natural yeah. human behavior, tribal instinct, I guess. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Very interesting. Wow. So uh, maybe we can wrap things up just with where uh, you're seeing things going for yourself and for Nansen in the next little while here. So first of all, we're going to add a lot more NFT features, which is okay. uh, hopefully interesting to your audience. Um, we we have some <laughs> some insane NFT bulls in the team who are just 
they're so deep down the NFT rabbit hole that I, I almost can't see them anymore. And, uh, and they are like, you know, ushering forward the development of a lot of this NFT stuff. So, you know, stay tuned for that. And obviously we're going to add more chains. So now we support Ethereum and Polygon, but we're going to add like Phantom, Ronin, layer two solutions like Arbitrum, Optimism, and hopefully others. Um, and in addition, you're going to see more personalization in uh, the product mm -hmm. right now you know it's still you log in for the first time and it has like the most boring landing page ever but it should be more personalized and engaging to you and so we're going to spend a lot of time making that whole user journey when you start using nonsen a lot better mm -hmm. but that's one thing we want to focus on and then of course we have you know financial goals and metrics we want to hit and so on but from a user perspective those are the main things right on well, hey, thank you so much for spending this time with me and making time late into the night in Singapore. My pleasure, Dan. Very yeah. nice talking. Yeah, Enjoyed for sure. And uh, yeah, I wish you all the best with all this stuff. It's exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah, right nice on. talking with you. Take yeah. care. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Non-Fungible Podcast. See you again soon. <laughs>